Thank you for tuning in to Say Hi to the Future's Leadership Forum, a space where you will hear perspectives from global industry executives on human ingenuity, how they catalyze it to unlock value and realize the organization's true potential. We will keep it real. You will hear what's worked well and learnings from instances where things could have worked better. I'm your host, Sakir Buddy, partner at Spiderworks and explorer Say Hi to the Future, the fast-growing community highlighting the human side of ingenuity. Our guest today is Laura Siren, President and CEO of Diabetes Canada. Laura has served in leadership roles um, within the charitable sector for over 25 years. Um, Heart and Stroke, Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation, Arthritis Society, and now Diabetes Canada. Her success is a result um, of her passion for building positive relationships within complex not-for-profit structures, coupled with her experience that mission and fundraising are uh, should be understood as two sides of the same coin. Um, welcome, Laura, and thank you for taking the time out of your purpose-led schedule. Um, well, thanks for having me, Saka. Let's let our listeners, you know, I, obviously I went through, I went through some stuff about you just in, in how it, it reads, but hey, take your time. Tell us something that uh, we wouldn't have read in other places. So let's uh, let our listeners hear it in your voice how you would wish to introduce yourself. Sure. So um, thanks for that opportunity. I'm a proud philosophy graduate student who, who decided to uh, leave academia and uh, go to the business world. And um, and my career has, uh, it's just been an incredible journey. I started at Proctor um, out of philosophy um, and then took a right turn into not-for-profit and have always been in health. And that's really important to me um, in terms of wanting to make, I mean, all nonprofits make an impact, but for me, um, I lost both my parents early to cancer, and it was really important that I felt like I was bringing the business skills I had and the critical thinking skills I had from my undergraduate degree um, to making a difference. And so, uh, so for me, that's um, that's what I've been doing, and and it's really been a blessing as I've been able to uh, work on almost all the major diseases, and including now diabetes, which. Sadly, and I'm sure we're going to get into this. Is just is growing. So, yeah, yeah, no, and and you know what? Um, and you've been doing an absolutely amazing job at it. So, so thank you for for your service. Um, we first met about ten years ago, tenish, a bit, twelve, thirteen years ago, uh, when the formation of uh, you know what what then was called the Heart and Stroke Foundation Center for Stroke Recovery. Um, you know, and and Marty, yourself, and I had a had a quick conversation, and then the rest is history. Um, but then we have, you know, like you said, we're both proud alums of Procter & Gamble. Um, and now we are both part of the McKay CEO forums. Um, recently, Spiderworks and Diabetes Canada worked together on uh, refreshing the strategy, right? And with you, with your leadership team and your board. So, so you know, exactly how you, you, you were going in that direction. Tell us, tell the audience a bit about Diabetes Canada. Um, and, but do throw some light on things that most of us get wrong about diabetes uh, uh. or frankly diabetes Canada for that matter. So Diabetes Canada has been around for 70 years, but as you know, Sakib, when I was working with you in Ken and Spiderworks, it's really a little bit like a 70 year old startup uh, because unfortunately diabetes numbers are going the wrong way. This is not a disease that we're getting our arms around 
and and really seeing some progress. It's going the other way. So it was really time to sort of take a fresh look and say, what uh, can an organization? We're about 110 people across the country. We're at about $40 million. So we're not small, but in the big ecosystem of diabetes, we're, we're small. And so the idea is where can we uh, put our strategic focus to to make a difference and and why do we need to make a difference well here's the analogy that i tell if you want to think of diabetes in canada in a swimming pool metaphor socket and we use this with the board and it was very helpful so if you can believe it in canada there are now 11.9 million canadians so think of that 11.9 that's even gone up since you and i did the strap plan two years ago, Sakab, 11.9 million Canadians who live with diabetes or what's called pre-diabetes. So that doesn't mean they have diabetes yet. It means that they're on the way to having diabetes. So think of that, if you think of a pool analogy, of that 11.9, about 5.9 of them are in the pool. They have been diagnosed with diabetes. And by the way, I am one of them. I live with type 2 diabetes. Um, And so there are 5.9 million Canadians in the swimming pool of diabetes. Some of us, knock on wood, live in the shallower end of that. And some of us with diabetes are in the deeper end. And what does that mean? A lot of Canadians don't understand that diabetes, there's five main complications. If you don't manage, if I don't manage my diabetes well, five things are likely to happen to me. 40% of all heart attacks in Canada are from diabetes. So I have to watch for heart attack. 33% of all strokes are from diabetes. 50% of all kidney disease when people are on dialysis is from diabetes. It's the the fourth thing I have to worry about is if I don't manage it well, as I'm if I'm going into the deep end of the swimming pool, the fourth thing is adult blindness. And it's the most profound kind of blindness. And the fifth one, and this is the one that people do often understand, is amputation. People often do see people without feet, without uh, without the bottom of the leg, or even arms, and that's from diabetes. So we've got 5.9, almost 6 million of our fellow Canadians in the pool, but the rest of those 11.9 are actually sitting on the edge. If you're pre-diabetic, if your doctor's saying your blood sugar, what we call A1C, is going up, you're sitting on the pool and your toes are dangling in that water. And the rest of Canada is actually marching towards the pool. So when we think about what we can do, do we work on people in the water? Are they in the deep end, the shallow end? Do we try to keep those people that are sitting on the edge of the pool from slipping in? Or do we work on prevention? So those folks walking towards the pool. So Sarkov, you and I both have children. And right now in Canada, you have a one in three chance of developing diabetes in your lifetime. I have a 23-year-old son. If we can't make a difference in the numbers I'm talking about, and I also have a 20-year-old son, they both have a one in two chance, one in two of developing diabetes and being in that pool. So, So for us, what people don't understand is diabetes, often there's a misunderstanding. Well, you brought it on yourself. Okay. First of all, that's not true. (laughs) Okay. There's two main kinds of diabetes, type one or juvenile diabetes and type two. In type one, your pancreas just stops making insulin. That's nothing you did. That's genetic. That's a, and in type two, yes, 
exercising, eating healthy plays a role, but it's not the only role. There are genetic factors, environmental factors, stress. So one of the big misunderstandings I come across a lot is that, well, people brought it on themselves. Why should I care about that disease? The second misunderstanding I hear a lot is, yeah, but they invented insulin, right? So there's a cure, right? And what people don't understand is whether you're insulin dependent or not. I'm still on oral medications. I haven't moved to insulin. But even with insulin, if you don't manage it well, you will get to those five complications I talked about. And then the last part that I find a lot is this stigma, this misunderstanding of, well, you know, you ate too many donuts, or if only you'd exercise. This this real sense that somehow it's your fault. And in fact, we're just about to launch second, um, a stigma stir- a survey here in Canada mm-hmm. with people with type 1 and type 2. It's been run in seven countries around the world to really try to get at what are those stigmas? Why do people... So we have a lot of people say, you know, including myself, I have to be honest, I haven't really told my family. I haven't told my friends. I haven't told my employer because my medications are expensive. We've had people call our 1-800 line saying, you know, I actually didn't get a job because I told I was told that I was more expensive than the other candidate because of my diabetes. So there is lots of misunderstanding and it's the, the you know the disease prevalence is only going up. So we really have to as a country and and really not just a country the world wrap our arms around diabetes a bit more. But you know on on that one. I mean um so those numbers are stark, right? And and those they they are enough to jolt anyone into action. So I I, I and that's 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 re- revealing in itself. But let let me also get because you've got a, you've got a fairly global understanding of this, right? Um, and then some of the work that we did. How alone are we in Canada? And I mean, is is this just a, we are about the same as everyone else and we need to work together with everyone? Are we ahead of the curve? Are we, so just want to get a feel for that. Yeah, so um, we are only in terms of, depending on how you want to look at it, good or bad, in terms of bad, we are only behind the states. Okay, so it, now, is it bad? Their uh, latest World Health Organization numbers are there's almost half a billion people around the globe living with diabetes. Okay, but it's very different depending if you're in a developing country, not developing country. So if if uh, you know if you do, if you're type one, if your child has type one and you don't even have access to insulin, that child is actually going to pass away. Okay, so so there's very different. We see our neighbors to the south really struggling right now. Uh, they have access to insulin, but at very increased prices. So we've all seen media reports of people who are rationing their insulin, which actually means they're not controlling their blood sugar, which means they're damaging their eyes and their kidneys and because it's too expensive. Uh, and in fact, as we speak right now, Sakib, in front of the Senate, three large pharma companies are being brought in front of the Senate to explain the pricing in the US. And so very interesting times globally around diabetes because at a very basic level, access to insulin, we of course not only have access to insulin, but it was a Canadian who who discovered insulin um, and then sold the patent for a dollar uh, around the world. Um, but uh, we are, I think if Dr. Banting was able to come to life today and think, wow, I really helped 
solve diabetes as a problem in Canada, that's not what he would say. He would be horrified. I think you're dealing with a a global, unresolved, wicked issue, right? Um, and um, the whole conversation around, say, hi to the future, where high stands for human side of ingenuity that we are trying to work on. And and we are having conversations in, in three different ways, right? Um, so we have uh, real ingenious thinkers, like Dr. Banting would have been on one of the podcasts, right? Yep. And that would be, that's generally what Ken Tensor does, and then he has those conversations. Um, and then the people around who are trying to design that lab, right, would be the ones uh, on a podcast with Tom Gaddis, because he's... Mm-hmm design thinker, right? Um, and then the person who's actually dealing with the operation of um, is is how you and I are having this conversation, right? So so let's get into the human side of ingenuity for a second, right? So this is a human condition. It, re- it requires a human response. Um, and this is your mantle. So, so speak to the audience and let us know if if you had your ways of of making all of this go away or or addressing it if not go away addressing it uh what are some of the ingenious solutions that are out there that you guys are working on uh or frankly that you would you would want to ask the audience to get engaged in yeah so great question and really there's three ways to tackle that sakub the the first is being ingenious about prevention because mm-hmm. i mentioned here in canada for example you know, if, if we have 39 million people, I'm just making that number up. It, you know, we, we've got about 20 of them marching towards the pool. Okay. They're not yet sitting at the edge of the pool or in the pool. So how can we get more ingenious about, one might say in business terms, flattening the curve or even reversing the curve, right? And this is not easy. <laughs> how many times have human beings tried to prevent diseases that involve behavior change okay because there is prevention that can involve vaccines and that would be ingenious right and there are people working on diabetes vaccines i mean think we never thought there could be cancer vaccines yeah 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 right and now there are cancer there's hpv there's things like that so quite ingenious would be be to use you know biological you know uh sort of science to do that but beyond that how do we for example think about the environments in which we put people whether those are the built environments are we building more walkable communities are we there's a lot of interesting uh ingenious things coming out of scandinavia in terms of how you can flatten the curve even lower the curve on chronic diseases including diabetes by thinking different access to healthy foods people live in food deserts Mm. you know uh, what about healthy eating in schools what about as i said walkable communities what about public transportation but sacrum as we all know this is not a quick fix and this is also so (laughs) multi-layered Right. I mean, it's very different if I can give you, hey, Sackett, here, have your vaccine. You're never going to get diabetes versus I'm going to change a lot. Like here we are sitting in chairs. We're not walking. We're not being exercised. But it's it, it would be silly not to look at that. It would be silly not to take a look at how can we bring ingenuity to prevention? What would that look like? So and I know you've got two other areas. Yep. And 
but just on this one for a second, when I hear you speak about diabetes and 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 prevention, yeah, to me that's almost how we are thinking about climate change. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, so if I drive uh, a better car or or lower carbon emission, does that mean the temperature will start getting better tomorrow? No, it won't. Right. Right. Uh, however, it's all stuff. So exactly, are there, are there analogies? Like, who, which yeah. are some of the other such conditions yeah. Yeah. that you are looking at from an ingenious standpoint so we can think differently? Yeah. Well, the obvious sort of one um, that's been very much with a policy lever is tobacco. Mm. So if you think back, Zachary, you know, for me, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, society i mean you see the movies people are smoking you go on a plane people smoked restaurants people smoked. there was a huge shift like if you had fast forwarded 60 years later my grandmother your like wouldn't even recognize what it is how and and has that prevented people from smoking absolutely right has it encouraged people to stop so yeah do people still smoke yes they do right but is that now in that particular case two key things happened um one is there was science to show that secondhand smoke hurt other people so an argument could be made and so in diabetes we think about this right an argument could be made if Sakib is going on a plane and the gentleman next to him is smoking it, that gentleman can't just say well it's my right we now had scientific evidence that Sakib would leave that plane and actually be physiologically worse off. Mm. Okay, so he was harming you and we don't allow harm to other people by your actions. So the question is, as we think about that in diabetes, that's a little bit harder, right? Sure. It's, but one could say, for example, there are things we're working on on food marketing to children sugary drink taxes now you get the same reaction you get from we got from tobacco which is big brother trying to run my life but there are policy levers that governments could pull even in built environment new subdivisions have to have sidewalks it would encourage people to walk they have to have parks like so there are policy levers that i think tobacco uh, would be an example the other example i would say which I don't know if you would count this as prevention or not, Zach, if you could tell me. But I think that changing of the stigma, if you look at AIDS and you look at mental health. Mm, okay. And Got you it. look at what they did to get people to talk about it more. Well, if you might be pre-diabetic, Zach, God forbid, but if you were, and if it wasn't, sort of something you had to be embarrassed about or quite frankly didn't know about so say for example in the mental health i might have started having problems but i didn't feel i could talk to anybody about it well 20 25 years later i might go and actually say something and i might prevent something it's it's the same so there are a couple levers but it's it's like climate change it's really hard because it's so multivariate I understand. And we are still at prevention. So keep going. Yeah. So the second one, which I think is the, in a sense, the most obvious one with ingenuity is, um, so prevent, second one is care. So people like me who have been diagnosed with diabetes, 
what could we be ingenious about in terms of improving their care? The most obvious one over the last 15, 20 years um, is technology. I'm, I'm showing my arm, but people on your podcast can't see it. I, I wear a continuous glucose monitor. Game changer. Ooh. Okay, game changer. If I was insulin dependent, I also may, which I'm not, thank God, but I may have an insulin pump. Game changers. This ingenuity is like, okay, so for people with diabetes to manage their diabetes, they have to know their sugar levels. This sounds so easy now, Saka, but it's only about 20 years out, right? So people will have to prick their fingers. They will then have to have strips. They will have to test them. The idea that with the advent of a smartphone, you could stick something that stays in my arm. Mine is a flash. So mine stays in two weeks. And I can actually, with an app, hold it to my arm, check my blood sugar and say, oh, I need to adjust right now. Or in my case, when I'm exercising, which is a good thing, and I start to see it go down, which is a bad thing if it goes too low, because I just found out recently, by the way, when I'm exercising, <laughs> that if it goes too low, I could faint. And if I faint, they have to take my driver's license away for four months. This I do not want. So my technology allows me to avoid that, allows me to trip to the hospital. I see it's going down. I stop. I get a piece of apple. I get back on my bike. Right. This avoids me going. So th the technology, they are working on the artificial pancreas. Okay. So the idea that for people in the deep end, mm -hmm. okay, the pancreas is not working for a bunch of reasons. What if they could like artificial hearts, right? Artificial pancreas. So there is so much ingenuity, especially around technology, um, but also um, around the medication. Look at Ozempic. Mm -hmm. okay? Th this is new medication that's creating weight loss, managing diabetes. And, th and then the last one, the third one, Sakib, is cure. Mm -hmm. So in my pool analogy, this is the best one in a way because I would if we found a cure we'd just drain the pool and all of us standing in the pool would no longer be worried about drowning because there's no pool anymore so but that will take a lot of ingenuity okay if Dr. Banting came back because there's a lot of different reasons diabetes happens you know and they're just starting to learn for example that in some cases why are adults now starting to get type 1 it was always juvenile before. Something's happening. They're learning a lot from cancer research. Something's happening where your your pancreas is getting some genetic signal turning off its ability to regulate insulin. Yeah. Why? And can you turn it back on? Right? Like in, in cancer, there, you know, your white blood cells turn things off and two years could grow. Well, if you could turn that signal back on, would it shrink? Same thing in diabetes. So in the cure area, lots of fundamental science, clinical science um, around really understanding what's going on in your body and can we reverse it so that when my, my son is 50 or 60, maybe he would have had a one in two chance, but actually maybe now because of human ingenuity, there's something they can give him a vaccine against it or they actually reverse something that's going on in his body this is very interesting and and so and and let me let me also give give the floor to you on on a on a different area where what are some of the 
supposedly ingenious things that we've tried in the past that have not quite worked. Yeah. Right. And, and that you would say, you know what, we've learned from those, and which is why we're not going in that direction. So what would what would a couple of those be? Yeah, well, I, I think um, if we go back to the prevent and the care and the cure, on the prevent side, what I would say is maybe what you might call simplistic measures. We'll just tell people that they're getting diabetes and we'll just encourage them to eat better and then people will just do it. And, and I'm not saying people were naive, but I think the tobacco example shows us, Akib, that people also need environmental systems change and they need an environment. So I think naively just to think, well, we'll do um, a diabetes prevention program. And who wouldn't sign up for that? Right? Like, hey, we'll put it out there. And we've done this at Diabetes Canada. We'll put it out there. You know, those six million people must know they're at risk. Like just a lot of naive assumptions. They must understand. They'll come to our website. They'll follow this diet. They'll, for example, buy healthy food, which many of them can't afford. Yeah. But but even if you can't, even, you know, those of us from a place of privilege, Zachary, how many times, you know, look at New Year's resolutions. I'm yeah. going to work out. How long? So, because behavior change is involved, that piece of we're, we're not, we haven't, so, there hasn't been the right ingenuity around that yet, right? How, and there's lots of cool things, right? There's nudges on your phone. Your smartwatch can tell you it's time to get up and walk around. You, you, you know, you've seen beautiful stuff in Scandinavia. If you're in a subway platform and there's stairs and two escalators, they, they write free gym above the stairs and they make it look like a piano and you make noises as you go up people still go right to that escalator yeah right? like like it's so what's happening there on the care side of course there's lots of medications there's lots of um devices that get tried um and don't work but there's even more basic stuff i would say which is um how can we be more ingenious in the health system um so for example if you live in a rural part of Canada, as a diabetic, I have to get my eyes screened once a year. And all we say is go get your eyes screened once a year. And it's very important, right? Because if you start seeing damage, you can do stuff too. People say, I don't even, I, I live hours from an optometrist. Like, what am I supposed to do, right? So there are things that we can do. So there are screening programs. But again, in our system, it's like, yeah, but those seem to cost more money. So we're not going to do them. So I think we also have to think about some ingenuity in, in cross-pollinating how we think about what's health and what's other things in a government, in a government budget. But it becomes tricky, right? Because there's a totally different payer there. It does. But, uh, you know, at the same time, some of the stuff that I'm hearing from um, from um, from the Ministry of Health and in terms of the Connected Care Act, right? I think that starts to get into then to start things, seeing things in silos. Yeah. Uh, how can we be centered around the the individual versus just you know disease functions or whatever? So I think absolutely I think there there is enough motivation that's happening there, and and we must give ourselves the credit that um, Canada is one of those that that it has a lot more going on of course you and i can complain as much as we want because we have we've earned the right to um 
But at the same time, I think if I if I take a look at globally, like you exactly. said, you know, yeah. we're in a much better situation. You know, one of the things that I am personally really, really looking forward to, and I've been hearing this for a while, and I am going to, that is one time where I will go and make that upgrade happen without a second thought, which is if my Apple Watch can tell me my blood glucose monitor. Yes. So, Huge. And that's something and that's something that I know they've been working at. I know yes. blood oxygen level yes. to an, e, e, you know, an ECG. Um, and that sensor, the moment yes. that I am definitely upgrading to my my Apple Watch to that. Absolutely. And I just was on the phone with a startup out of Calgary who is actually using some uh, electronic monitoring for an ovarian condition that I never heard of. And I said, I don't understand why you want to talk to me. And they said, well, women, one in five women get this ovarian condition. And 50% of them go on to d- develop type 2 diabetes. And our little machine with these little probes can actually start to prevent that happening. Okay, Sakaba had no idea. So again, the technology ingenuity, and it's not just in the diabetes field, right? Like, like might have knock-on effects because really it's whole, like diabetes affects almost every one of your organs, right? You, You know, your heart your lungs, your kidney, your eyes, like, so I think we're going to be able to see the sort of the serendipity of science um, being able to impact diabetes. This is, this has been a, this has been an amazing conversation and, and, you know, it, it's always, it's always fun to speak to you, Laura. I, I mean, you know, one of the things that I, before we let you go, would love to get your thoughts on and, um, Let's let's talk about so diabetes for sure, but even the different aspects of of um, of not for profits you worked in, right? Martin uh-huh. Stroke, Princess Margaret, um, Arthritis Society, and um, and if I was to ask you, hey, if you were to retrace your steps, uh-huh. right? Um, anything you'd do differently? Yeah, it's a great question. I I think for me. First of all, I have I would have believed in myself more. Hmm. I, I would have thought, you know, I I may not be a scientist, I may not be a healthcare expert, but as you said before, people are really at the heart of the health system, right? Like like it's supposed to be patient centric or people centric, and and really, if you have their needs in mind, there there's a, a saying sack of that is happening all the time in healthcare now, which is nothing about us without us. Mm. And it's very important, right, that that people who live with a disease or are affected by it are thinking about it. And I think I would have embraced that sooner, which is, you know, we're all patients. We're, we're all managing our health. And so how can I be more inventive and and original. The other thing I would say, I had a board member years ago at, at Heart of Stroke, and I really didn't get it when she said it. She said, Laura, you don't have enough enthusiasm for failure. Huh. And and I was like, is that a compliment? <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. But then I, as I'm, you know, now in my mid-50s, it's like, you know, boy, is that right? Like, there's a point at which, especially with our proctor trading side, it's like, you got to be buttoned up. You got to be perfect. You you've got to have all the answers. And if you're really going to be ingenious, I actually think you have to be open to the fact that it might be wrong and it's going to fail, but you're going to learn from it. And rather than going away from it because 
like I think you I've probably given up on opportunities to be more ingenious to use your word because I've been afraid I might be wrong and I I think that I would change that you know it's 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 uh that that's such a that's such an insight to take away um just recently I was listening to a podcast um and they were saying when Satya Nadella came to Microsoft they were they were going through a bit of a dip right mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft had been flatlining for a while, but then when he came in, he has now rejuvenated the company beautifully. And and the thing he said was, let's all stop being the smartest people in the room. Yeah. Can exactly. we all become the smartest learners in the room? Right. Yes. And and, and exactly. that, I, think, I think some of that is you need to embrace failure. You need to be enthusiastic about failure. Um, I, think, I think that's great. But you know what? We end this on nothing about us without us right? I, think, I think that's absolutely fantastic um thank you so much laura uh for for taking the time again this has been you know our listeners uh, would love to hear more from you about you so we'll definitely tag you and diabetes canada in our show notes um but like i said thanks a lot thank well, you thanks for having me Saka. really appreciate it thank you all once again for tuning in you can find all Say Hi to the Future podcast series on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. The Say Hi to the Future podcast series is produced by Sonia Romero, edited by Matt Miller, and special effects by Edward Baskets. Please leave us your thoughts and let us know if there's a guest you want us to have a conversation with.